0: We are committed to amplifying the voices of people who are dedicated to Jesus and to
1: justice. justice
0: Welcome, everybody. It is a special night. I'm glad y'all could join us for Book Club We're going to dive in in just a second. We've got a a power pack night. We're going to be talking about dancing in the darkness with the Reverend Dr. Otis Moss III joining us. Good to see you, my brother.
2: It's wonderful to be here and great to see you all.
0: And uh, as folks kind of start tuning in, I know some of y'all are listening to this broadcast afterwards. Some of y'all are joining live from different parts of the world. Uh, We've been reading this together this month and Uh, Just a few things on the horizon. Oh, by the way, my co-host tonight.
1: Oh, yeah.
0: uh, (laughs) My incredible wife, Katie Jo, who loves Dr. Moss and has heard him preach many times. And we've been reading this book together. Uh, I was I was telling Reverend Moss we've been uh, reading it back and forth. And it's been uh, a really special read for us, brother. So thank you. And you don't do a lot of these book clubs with me. You you don't jump in on everyone. So I don't enjoy
3: enjoy everyone's book, but you can't say that (laughs) out loud. But I like this one. Um, Thank you.
0: So we've got like morning prayer coming up in a few days, y'all. Some of you join us uh, at the first of each month, the first day of each month generally. uh, So at 9 o'clock a.m. Eastern Time, we'll do prayer together with Jonathan Wilson Hartgrove, and we always have a special guest on that. So uh, go ahead and carve that time out. We'll do that all year, too. It's almost always 9 a.m. on the first day of the month, uh, every once in a while, we switch it up because of time zones or something, but uh, go ahead and join us for prayer. There's a lot going on in the world. I know we're coming into this evening with all sorts of feelings, the back to back shootings in California. Mm-hmm. There's all kinds of things we're bombarded with, but that's all the more reason to remember that we have got to dance in the darkness. Mm-hmm. And that's what this conversation tonight is about spiritual lessons for thriving in turbulent times. So these are indeed some turbulent times. And I thought, uh, Reverend Moss, first, you know, the inspiration of this book, you kind of save to late on, but Mm -hmm. you you give us the heads up that, uh, you know, you dedicate it to your daughter, Michaela. You talk about where the title came from. So I thought we might as well just start out with that, right, brother, where, where you got this uh, idea of dancing in the darkness.
2: Is Certainly, certainly. Love to start off there. And again, I, I just want to say thank you to to both of you and, and the work that you all do. I mean, I admire uh, the ministry, the partnership, uh, the way that you all get into holy mischief all across this land. And it's just such a blessing to, to have this opportunity to, to, to be with you all this this evening. Uh, a, as you stated, well, the, the title of the book really comes from an encounter with my daughter. Um, in, in the audio book, she was with me when I recorded the audio book, and she even recorded the dedication page because she oh, was well. dedicated to her. That was a really special thing to, to be in the studio with her. Um, but in 2008, uh, we hadn't been in Chicago very long, and I was pastor, uh, had just started as pastor at Trinity United Church of Christ, and my predecessor, Dr. Jeremiah Wright, Jr., had retired. A lot of people don't know that he retired. He, was, he had gone on. He was actually out of the country. And I remember uh, working out. I was, it was at Bally's at the time. I think Bally's has been bought out since yeah, then. Right. <laughs> I was warming down mm-hmm. um, on a treadmill. And someone tapped me on the shoulder and said, uh, "Hey, Rev, is that your church up there?" And I look on the news, and Sean Hannity is going mm. off mm. about our church. And I said, "Oh, <clears throat> I, I've got to go." Mm. And so that started the media gauntlet of what we call it. Forty outlets showed up to our church every Sunday, placing microphones in the face of of people, hoping to get uh, some type of quote. And then the Mm. death threat started. Mm. Uh, Dr. Wright, myself, the church, we had to get bomb sniffing dogs to come into the church, every single service. Mm. And so I was on edge for about a year. And the reason was because we had a member uh, by the name of Senator Barack Obama, who was running for president, who became president at that moment. Mm. And sean hannity got a clip of 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 dr wright's sermon it was actually a pretty good sermon when I mean, you listen to the it is one. a very good sermon.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
2: and uh took that clip out of context and proceeded to attack the church mm-hmm. uh proceeded to attack uh, the the black church tradition proceeded to uh, attack uh, the obama family and say that you know anybody who would be a part mm-hmm. of such a church uh, obviously is unpatriotic. Uh, this cannot be American. They they are uh, communist, terror. I mean, you name it. We were called every name in, in the book and, and then some. And so I was on edge uh, consistently. I had to get 24-hour security just about. <clears throat> and uh, Dr. Wright got security. We had to have security at the church. And I remember one evening uh, where we heard some noise in the house and Monica, my wife, she she tapped me and said, you need to go check that out. And uh, so I got up and grabbed my rod and my staff that comforts me uh, (laughs) and started looking around the house. Uh, That rod and staff is uh, named Louisville Slugger. (laughs) And and I was thinking, is this it? I honestly was thinking, and I going to have to to uh, protect my family in this moment because someone Uh, who had been listening to conservative radio or conservative blog uh, thought uh, that we were a threat to uh, the security of America. Mm -hmm. And I heard the noise again and I heard the noise coming from my daughter's room. And I opened up the room of the door and there was my daughter in the middle of a room. Uh, She was spinning around in the middle of the room dancing, saying, look, (laughs) daddy, I'm dancing. (laughs) Tails going back and forth. And this is 3 a.m. And I have to preach in a few hours. And so I got (laughs) that low registered daddy voice and baby (laughs) right now. Mm -hmm. And she's like, look, daddy, I'm dancing. And that's when the spirit truly spoke, Mm -hmm. said, stop and look at your daughter. Your daughter is dancing in the darkness. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Darkness is around her, but it's not in her. Mm -hmm. And at that moment, I scrapped my sermon, ran down to my study and started just writing. Uh, what was coming out of my spirit in that moment. And the sun came up, I put on my clothes. I went to church. I climbed in the pulpit and I said to, to the community that we are called to dance in the darkness,
1: mm-hmm. dance
2: with joy, dance with love, dance with justice, uh, that if we are to transform this American democracy, we must learn how to dance uh, in this darkness and in this dark moment. And just as scripture says that God will turn your mourning into uh-huh. dance.
1: Hmm.
2: Uh, never forget that it is not that the sun has forsaken us, but the earth has simply turned. And if you dance long enough, joy will come in the morning and hmm. you witness the light again. Hmm. And, and that's really the origin uh, of, of the title is that my daughter Michaela, who's now a freshman at Mercy University in Macon, you know, so shout out to Michaela um, yeah. is the one who who taught me about the, the power of dancing in the darkness.
0: Hmm. Hmm. So good, and you give you give a lot of other images too, like kind of inspired by that. I remember the uh, was it uh, Reverend Sammy Billy Kyle's that you talk about the, the boy seeing the man punching through the darkness, you know? So, all these great images, jazz comics. We're gonna talk about it. Um, Katie's a little bit more hip than I am, so I'd get a refresher on some of my comics, Reverend Moss. But oh,
3: yeah, were you going into that one? <laughs> no, go ahead, no, go ahead. Oh, I was gonna ask about your, your um kind of combination of justice and love because mm. uh, you, you do talk about that early on. Um, you, you, you give, I didn't know the story of the Howard Thurman story um, mm. when he's at the train station as a boy and that man buys or rebuys his, his ticket, right? It's a beautiful story. Mm. Um, but you're talking about um, what justice could have looked like in that situation just justice. And then what just love would have looked like. But when the two are combined, um, what evolves out of that? So c- I was going to do one of your quotes like justice without love can become ruthless. An eye for an eye. That kind of just justice risks continuing the cycle of hatred and reprisal that can tear down a community. Justice without love destroys. Mm. It was the combination of love and justice that set young Howard Thurman his future student, Martin Luther King Jr., and the American Civil Rights Movement on a Path Towards the Light. So I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about those two together, because I've I've never thought about it that way. I've never thought about, I mean, I've thought about them, but I've never thought of one not having the other. And that was like mind blowing. So if you could uh, talk about that.
2: Yes. Yeah. I, I really appreciate that because the The idea of love and justice is what what, what haunts the book, is is the undergirding of of these lessons that we attempt to tell. Love without justice is nothing but sentimentality. Mm. Justice without love, as you already read, can become legalism, become brutality. But love and justice, when they're married together, I like to say they walk down the aisle, they get married, and then they produce these two wonderful children named transformation and liberation Mm. uh, that true love and in america we don't know this kind of love we we know sentimentality mm-hmm. in america we know justice as a doctrine and something that is is legalistic uh, but in the ancient tradition and all these other traditions in the world love has to be connected to justice and justice has to be connected with love
3: mm-hmm. um,
2: the bimbe uh community ethnic group tribe in in southern africa They believe that when someone does something wrong, you put them in a circle. Mm. Elders and the young people get around them and they don't tell you what you did wrong. They Mm. just keep telling you why you're a gift from God. And to the point where you begin to break down and cry and realize that to be restored back to the community is not just knowing your wrongs, but knowing you are a gift. Mm. And they Mm. spend hours upon hours every day until the child or young person breaks down and realize I am a gift, weeping, saying I am a gift. And it creates this humility. That's restoration. And, and in America, we don't we don't we don't connect with this idea.
1: Right. Yeah,
2: um, yeah. And I think that we have to relearn. Imagine if we if we had love and justice when we thought through policy. Mm-hmm. Um, we we you couldn't have three strikes. You're out. We would raise questions about how do we restore people? If we had love and justice, you don't just expel children from school. Mm-hmm. You would talk about how can we educate them and how can they be restored so they can fully flourish? Because love is always whispering in the ear of justice and justice is always whispering in the ear of love. Of How, how do we uh, allow someone to to operate at their full capacity? And, and, and that's the beauty of when we we. We walk with these two things together. And that's what Jesus was always walking with this idea of agape. That is a, a just love, a love that is rooted in this idea.
1: Mm.
0: So good. And when we were, when we were just, you know, down in uh, Atlanta with the King Center, and I remember Reverend Barber, you know, was quoting uh, that, uh King quote, power without love is reckless, abusive, and love without power is sentimental and anemic. Mm -hmm. Exactly what you're saying. You've got a lot of King, you know, in your writing, and I, you know, it's it's interesting how we kind of stand on the shoulders of so many others and seeing, you know, at the King Center, the Gandhi room and how much Mahatma Gandhi meant to King and shaped a lot of his ideas about nonviolence and forgiveness. And I was thinking, uh, you know, related to justice, you, you write about forgiveness as well. And uh, Reverend Sharon Risher is listening in today. Something? Oh yeah. Yeah. Reverend Sharon's listen. Oh, go ahead.
3: <laughs> we, we got to step into your dad's feet at the King center. Oh, you his, his feet are on the sidewalk they're like implanted in there.
0: Yeah, we like, we stood right there and uh and gave yeah. thanks for yeah. you and your dad, your family. Oh, that that yeah. is so
2: wonderful. I can't wait to pass that on uh, on to papa. It's such an honor that they would put him in the the, the Civil Rights um it
3: was amazing. walk yeah. of
2: walk of struggle. Uh yeah.
3: that's so there. beautiful. Mhm.
1: So, you know, I
0: was just thinking to Reverend Richard, though, because she's listening in tonight. And uh, I don't know if you uh, well, I think we were all together at the Wild Goose and maybe yeah. a couple mm-hmm. other places. But, you know, it was her mother, Ethel Lance, uh, that was yes. killed uh, by, you know, in, in uh, and AME. Her uh, two cousins, her family was killed. And you talk about that forgiveness. And it, it's interesting because I've. I've heard Reverend Sharon talk about how stunned she was at how quickly her sister uh mm. offered that <laughs> forgiveness. Mm. You know? And and Reverend Richard talks, I mean, her book, we we studied it and did it as one of our books of the month, too. Um, and she talks about how forgiveness is is such a process and it takes different people, different amounts of time, and you don't want to cheapen uh mm-hmm. forgiveness, you know, and 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 accountability and Uh, What repentance really looks like. So she's she said one of the same things that you said in your book, which is that the idea that you forgive and forget uh, is a terrible idea because Mm. you forget you forgive, but you remember and you still have the scars and the memories. Say you know, say a little bit more because you write so powerfully about forgiveness. It seems like it's kind of related to justice, you know, it,
2: it is it's, it's a part of it. And, and America has a real a challenge with forgiveness because it doesn't know what it is. It's talking about absolution without any accountability or responsibility uh, that we want after someone commits an act of terror. It's like, oh, forgive, forget. No, uh, within this idea of black spirituality, when you're talking about forgiveness, it is more of an ancient form of forgiveness, meaning you're not going to have power, nor are you going to plant weeds in my soul. That's what I'm talking about. When I say I forgive, I release you from having power over me. But that does not, also, that does not mean that in any way that there's not going to be any accountability. Mm-hmm. Um, it means that I am going to begin to grieve prophetically. How can I change this world? How can I make a, a shift? America like wants absolution. You know, uh, an act that is horrific, uh, have absolution and let's move on. Or it wants to sequester the act. And that's mm-hmm. what happened with Dylan Roof to mm-hmm. act as everybody's like well, on board. You know, Dylan Roof committed this act, but we need to talk about uh, the system that created Dylan Roof. We need to talk about the poison that he ingested nutrition that he was fed by uh, this antebellum confederate mythology Mm -hmm. uh, that runs rampant uh, that we call white supremacy that he had been drinking and america doesn't want to deal with that Mm -hmm. Uh, so we want to sequester dylan roof as if it's just a horrific act not knowing that or not wanting to talk about all of what took to build him and there are still dylan roofs Mm -hmm. Uh, they may not uh, go into church houses, uh, but they may ban black history in Florida mm. um, They may act as if certain acts of horror should not be talked about or taught uh, by children that those are that's the the poison that makes a Dylan roof
1: mm. Mm. Mm
0: thinking of that quote you have it in the beginning of that chapter i think it's from mandela resentment is like drinking poison mm-hmm. and hoping it will kill your enemies mm-hmm. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
3: Mm.
0: well you want to talk about comics or what you want to talk about well, no
3: i you know, <laughs> sometimes when you well i'm married to someone who writes books so i'm often curious about incidents that they experience where you have to live out your own writing. Um, So in this idea of forgiveness, like for you, you don't have to like name names or throw anybody under the bus, <laughs> but like what, what is, you know, I think sometimes we think, God, it's so hard to forgive that friend that hurt your feelings mm-hmm. or it's so hard. To, and the, And then when you step back, they seem so unimportant compared to mm. like, tragedies right and so i'm just curious in your own personal life how you've meandered through mm-hmm. forgiving people it's
2: it's mm-hmm. it's, it's a, it always is a challenge it's 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 a requirement and a challenge the wisdom of my mother uh mm-hmm. rests heavy with me because she she's just she's just a wise person mm-hmm. and she would uh say you know what Otis you know you going to allow someone to have that much power over you you're going to spend that much time thinking about them. And they got that much residence in your, mm. your soul and your head and they work. They live in there rent free. <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> you
2: know, you, you really going to give that much power said so you got to release that.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
2: the, yeah. and, and, and that put me really thinking about how this idea of forgiveness works. We mm-hmm. want the forgiveness of forgetfulness. Right. Mom was teaching me the forgiveness of the idea of you need to empower yourself. That person mm-hmm. needs to stop living in your house, in your mind, rent free. Mm-hmm. You know, w- yeah, when yeah. are you going to do that? Um, and when are you going to see them um, as someone who was there's such trauma mm-hmm. happened to them
1: mm-hmm. instead right. of
2: seeing them as a monster, seeing them as a broken person. And then all of a sudden they, they become smaller. <laughs> in, the, in the process and they all of a sudden they the, the 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 deep anger you're like oh gosh you so they didn't have a family and parents and they they didn't have you know they they didn't have the the kind of things that you had that, that you know an embrace of a of a village that's why they so mean nasty and acting the way they acted you know mm-hmm. and here you are letting them live rent free in your head mm-hmm. um, <laughs> you no know, she she she's something else you know and but she she helped me
1: mm-hmm.
2: to understand that American forgiveness
1: mm.
2: uh, is can create more trauma. Mm. Ancient and spiritual forgiveness can empower.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Mm. Yeah. I th- mm. th- think again, when, when one of the things I've heard Reverend Richer say was when she says, I, I didn't forgive Dylan Roof so he could sleep at night,
2: uh, but so I could sleep at night. Mm. You know, I didn't want to. be That's it. That, that's, that, that's it. Yeah. that is yeah. exactly mm. it. Without a doubt. Mm. Mm. So we're gonna talk about comics.
0: A you want? You
3: excited? She not even read comics, but he's excited for that. I have a trouble
0: with. I have trouble with fiction books and fiction movies. I'm just. I, this is a safe place, for Reverend Otis. So I'm just gonna say. <laughs> I mean, Katie outreads me on everything. We're reading Ibrahim Kendi's book right now. You know. Uh, stamp from the beginning and um, but we she reads a lot of fiction and we're we're stre- I'm stretching myself on mm-hmm. some of these Marvel movies I'm trying to watch and things you know um,
3: watch them but He's I did
0: watching. like you, this line.
2: you'll be blessed you'll be blessed
3: <laughs>
0: I did I love how you write about them though and I yeah. I, I still had to like Google a few, or Wikipedia a few things like you know Storm and all this but oh, you yeah. know I love that line from Chesterton you said fairy tales are more than true not because they tell us that dragons exist, but because they tell us that dragons can be beaten. Mm-hmm. That's, that's right. Good. And that's right. I think, I think that's a little uh, that's a little fiction um, theology there. So, uh,
3: but what 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 was your first? What was the first comic book that you held in your hands and fell in love with?
2: Oh, it, with, without a doubt, it was the X Men when I was when I was younger. Uh, X Men then Spider Man, Spider Man and, Spider-Man, Spider-Man and uh, Batman, um, but I loved. And then when I found out that Stan Lee, this is a wonderful thing for those who don't know anything about the comics. When Stan Lee wrote the X-Men, he was trying to figure out how he could write, but also connect with what was happening in the world, specifically the civil rights movement. Mm. So Professor X, when he was writing, was uh, this this trope of dealing of Dr. King. And then Magneto was Malcolm X. And the X-Men were. Yeah, that's what he was trying to trying to communicate hmm. Magneto wanted a, a separate world huh. for people who had the X-Gene. And then the idea was here are people who are different genetically. And because they're different genetically, they are treated differently. Mm-hmm. But because of Xavier's teaching. They might be the ones who can save the nation.
3: Right. <laughs> Good. Storm. Storm is one of the X Men. Yes. You remember that from your research? Yes, I
0: did remember that. <laughs> and I. I so, uh, the other thing I learned from reading. Uh, by the way, you should flash the book again, just in case people oh. that are joining us. If you're just now joining us, of course, this is Reverend Otis Moss the uh, Third. Who's, who has many things pastor at Trinity, uh, out in Chicago, but also this is his newest book. Uh, and so we've been reading it together, Katie and I, and so there's a section on comics and, uh, superheroes and villains. And I did, I, I was really intrigued by the, uh, uh, several things struck me, but the, the origin story, right. That a lot yes. of them oh, have had yeah, really traumatic beginnings. They were abandoned yeah. they had a hard life. And in some ways you say, they get to choose who they're gonna be like how are you gonna tra- how are you gonna um, uh, deal with that tragedy? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know how is it gonna shape who you are and uh, so maybe say a little bit more about that and then you know
2: <laughs> yeah I, I, love, I love that chapter too. I had fun fun writing it for all of the comic book nerds <laughs> who are who will be reading. but the idea is that you know an origin story is incredibly important to a comic book hero mm-hmm. that you can't be a hero until you learn your origin story. Every villain and every hero, actually, they choose. You know, they all have these very difficult beginnings and some choose, make this choice, to say that my beginnings, my origins, put me on a path where I must transform things or puts you on a path of saying that I am so angry at the world, I want people to be in pain just the way I am. Mm. Peter Parker... Um, makes a decision that in his 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 uncle is killed because that's he did Spider-Man. not use his powers in the appropriate way. That's that's Spider-Man. There Shane. Right. shame. <laughs> um, Batman is very interesting because he's motivated by the fact that his parents were killed in front of him by someone who used a handgun. So he becomes this anti-gun activist and hero at the same time. So he will never use a gun mm-hmm. and he will never kill becomes also very important, but he believes in you know he believes in retribution too. That's a whole other thing
1: about <laughs> yeah. Um,
2: But then you have the, the the whole X narrative and Black Panther, and um, I mean Rick Grimes from Walking Dead is one of the fascinating because he has no superpowers. His superpower uh, literally is the fact that he just believes that there can be um, a civil society in the midst of a dystopian world. That, that's, that's all he's trying to do. Can we bring some degree of humanity, love, and caring? And he's trying to do it for his family until he realizes, I want to do this uh, for, for the remnants of humanity. Mm-hmm. So you take these ideas of an origin story and I talk about Dr. King. Uh, mm-hmm. that before Dr. King becomes the Dr. King that we know about. His origin story is on Auburn Avenue. I spoke uh, the other day and, uh, for a King celebration. And I said that many people lift up Boston and Crozier and all of these spaces where Dr. King developed, but it's really Auburn Avenue. He steps out from his Mm -hmm. house on one side of the street are middle-class homes, doctors, lawyers, Mm -hmm. preachers. On the other side of the same street are shotgun homes Mm -hmm. where you you have people who are domestics and people who are struggling. He turns left. He's walking to his father's church before he gets to that church. He passes by the Harbar Brooks funeral home that's owned by a black woman, the only black woman who owns a funeral home in the state of Georgia. So he sees a woman breaking patriarchy at the age of 12 and it's part of his origin story. He then walks past the Atlanta Daily World, the only daily black newspaper that lifts up lynching and the power of historically black colleges Then he passes by W.E.R.D., the word radio. A radio station that is lifting up positive things that are happening in the African-American community all across Atlanta. He passes mm. by the Atlanta Life Insurance Company that insures and provides money for the freedom movement. Goes mm. by Mother Bethel, AME Church, mm. where Bishop Henry McNeil Turner who at one time was pastor. And before there was a James Cone, Bishop Henry McNeil Turner said this. He said, God is black. Deal with it because God understands all about our struggles. Uh, so he's passing by that. Then before he gets to his dad's church, he goes by Wheat Street Baptist Church, mm-hmm. where William Holmes Borders was the pastor. He's of Morehouse, stands six feet, five inches tall, deep, booming voice. And he was also a poet. And when he would close a message, he had a poem Probably everybody listening probably has heard it but didn't know it was him because it was remixed by a person by the name of Jesse Jackson. Mm. Go, I am somebody. Mm-hmm. I am Langston Hughes and a poet. I am an aviator in Bessie Armstrong. I'm a musician in Duke Ellington. I am somebody. I'm beautifully, fearfully, wonderfully made. Dr. King used to sneak into that balcony at age 12. Then he went to his father's church and then he had to get on a trolley. And I love the way my father says it. He said, he got on a trolley to go to Morehouse. He had to sit in the back. He said, but because he had all of this somebodiness, his body was in the back, but his mind was in the front. Mm. Made his way to Morehouse College, steps on the campus, and then Dr. Benjamin Elijah Mays becomes his mentor. Mm. In other words, his origin story, Mm. that all of that somebodiness was poured into him that the hero that he becomes spiritually for us later begins on this small little street mm. of black people in the fourth ward of Atlanta, known as Sweet Auburn.
3: Mm-hmm. Mm. That was beautiful. Ooh, ooh, man. Mm. God, I got that.
0: Like, here's on my arm are standing up. Come on. <laughs> yeah.
3: That was pretty. I've never heard. It was so beautiful. And, you know, I ask I, yes, uh-huh. I want you to. So, uh, you, well, one, neither one of us watched The Walking Dead. So we didn't know that <laughs> character. That, yeah. We both had to we both had to um research that one. When you think of your own, like when you talk about uh your comic book heroes, there in in those stories in general, there always is this pinnacle point where a, a decision has to be made, right? And their lives are changed. In your own particular origin story, since we all have one, is there like a pinnacle? Do you think back to a pinnacle point, or is it more of just this evolution into who you have become and will continue to mm-hmm. be?
2: No, I think it's a combination of two, of two things. I think it was there's a pinnacle point. Uh, I think the pinnacle point was was being at Morehouse College. Um, mm. I went to Morehouse to be a filmmaker. I oh, wanted, uh, yeah, you said I, that. I, yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to be a cinematographer. I was so. I, I was. I really. I still am a film nerd. Very mm. much. I wanted to be like Ernest Dickerson. He was the cinematographer for Spike Lee um, because he just made people, especially black people look so beautiful. I'd never seen anything quite like it. I love the films of Akira Kurosawa, who was a Japanese filmmaker. I like Martin Scorsese, uh, David Lean, Charles Burnett. And then there was a woman by the name of Julie Dash, who did a movie called Daughters of the Dust. Mm. That I thought she was one of the most incredible. It's about the Gullah Islands in oh. South Carolina. And uh, I'd never seen anything like it. My wife and I, we saw it and we were dating the time and we were like, we'd never see anything like <laughs> it.
1: <laughs>
2: it was unbelievable. Um, just a, just a brilliant, wonderful filmmaker. And I always thought that uh, the preaching tradition was a form of storytelling. I said, but if we could if we could a- attach images to the story, mm-hmm. then we we decolonize the imagination. So I saw I saw that filmmakers had this power to decolonize imagination just as preachers do, just as writers do, as poets do. Uh, I saw it as another form of of artistry. And then, you know, the, I was going in that direction. And then I got kicked into this other direction of 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 ministry. And I was still not trying to. I was like, I'll be an academic. You know, I, was like, <laughs> I don't I don't want to pastor. I had to. Much great respect for, for passion. It was like, there's no way that I could do what I'd seen my father do and other people. There's this just absolutely no way, because mm-hmm. I considered, I consider my dad the just the greatest preacher I've ever heard in my life. Um, and uh, he's, he lives it. He, in every way, he's an embodiment. He lives a sermon versus just preaching one and mm-hmm. deeply genuine and, and loving and caring. And uh, his storytelling ability is on par with uh some of the greatest storytellers i think in history i mean he can can do things that it's just it's it's just unbelievable what he can do and so simple so just subtle and takes his seat and he's done and everybody's passed out you know all (laughs) over slain in the spirit
0: (laughs) well i I want to make sure we talk about jazz in a minute but i was thinking about this like this um uh origin story. And Mm -hmm. you kind of move from the individual to thinking about our country Mm -hmm. uh, and the the sort of crisis that we're in and so many different ways. But uh, there's this quote from uh, Marilyn Robinson that you have, the constitution of the U S is one of the world's greatest works of fiction. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, so, but, you know, you, you sort of invite us to think of Reworking the origin story of America, um, you know, I think of that great line: "America could be right," you know, and, and but yeah. but um, it's 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 e- easy for me to think an individual can choose that, but when when you know a large chunk of our country is is even ignoring some of the true origins of our country, it's mm. hard to think how are we all going to share the same narrative, you know? Mm. Uh, so maybe say a little bit more about. How you where you find the hope that we can rework this story of America?
2: Well, you know, I, I'm talking with the Red Letter Christian Organization. So, I, I mean, that's, <laughs> this is where, where the hope is right here. Mm. I believe that it's, it's the poets, it's the, the singers, it's the musicians, it's the dancers, it's our it's our painters, it's our teachers, it's mothers, mm-hmm. it's fathers, it's it's the coach. Uh, <laughs> that that does the work of reworking the origin story. That's why I, I'm also a big sports fan and the sports story of, of people, of how they come to be and how they connect with other people, that they're changing the origin story. Muhammad Ali was working, was, was, was an editor for the American quote-unquote story, uh, mm-hmm. just as Malcolm X was, just as Dr. King was, just as Fannie Lou Hamer is. So all of these people are serving, if you look on the list, they are editors because they realize that some of this stuff needs to be redacted, some of these uh, paragraphs need to be taken out, (laughs) and there needs to be things to be added. That's what a good editor does. They remove and they add. Mm -hmm. And each of us has the ability, when a policy is destructive, we serve as editors to redact. Um, And when there are ideas that that can allow us to flourish, there are Mm. paragraphs that we must add. Du Bois calls it. We are the yet to be Mm. United States of America. Mm. And and that's where we are. America is a myth. It's an idea. It is something that is is yet to be born. Mm. That is, is is yearning to be born. And when people are marginalized. Um, when they are silent, when they are placed in the corner and the full story is not told, then we end up living a lie and a myth that becomes destructive to everyone.
0: Mm mm-hmm. Yeah I think of those powerful words too of uh, that your words make me think of uh, you know Valerie Carr uh, the activist mm. lawyer who you know gives us vision of the current darkness you know yes. it kind of relates to your your you know dancing in the darkness and she says it you know invites us to say is this the darkness of the tomb of a country that's dying or is this the darkness of the womb and oh, well. yeah,
2: she, she preached that Woo! thing. I, yeah, I, you, I mean y'all have text, that. I you like, you, you are, to are it it preaching like <laughs> on this thing right here. And when I heard I was shouting and, and the folks were shouting at the Bishop Barbara's church. They, they, they went in. That was just a beautiful, mm. beautiful image, because it's the truth. Some yeah. of us wanted to be a tomb moment.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: for those of us who hold on to this idea of love and of hope and of justice, we said that this can be a womb, but mm-hmm. it is a, a very dangerous pregnancy Yeah. that, that when, when you are dealing with uh, something as fragile as this moment, uh, you got to have the right healthcare workers and nurses around the mother mm-hmm. uh, so that they don't lose the baby. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this is where we are. Uh, w- what type of healthcare providers will we be for a democracy that is yet to be birthed?
0: Mm-hmm. So w- w- one of the uh, it's so powerful. One of the other images you you kind of invite us to think about is is jazz. And you you're you're known as the blue notes preacher. Mm-hmm. You got uh you, you you got uh my wife is also. But, I mean, she knows every genre of music. Our our, our friend Leroy Barber challenged her to a lip sync contest. <laughs> and she shredded him.
1: <laughs> I, I know
0: you might be listening, Leroy. I mean, like, so much. So which song was it that you did that they, we got a note, uh, Reverend O's, we got, we got a note from the estate oh, of uh, Bill Withers. Bill Withers. Her lip sync was so good, it was starting to go viral. And they
2: had wow. to
3: remove They made us remove it.
2: Come on. Um, Bill Withers, by the way, is like one of the greatest songwriters. And
3: people. Did you watch Still Bill?
2: So so my wife absolutely adores Bill Withers because of that documentary. I mean, she's just like, I love him so much. I
3: know. (laughs) You love him even more. You're like the man gave up so much just to be a family man.
2: Just just to raise his child. Oh, she's like, Oh. oh, man.
3: He's so I use
2: Bill Withers in my preaching class. Do you really? We teach Grandma's Hands, his song, oh. Pants, oh, yeah. to talk about his imagery of how he's telling this story. And it's if you can learn how to preach in the manner in which Bill Withers writes this song. Mm. So you'll be doing OK. I mean, this is yes. like, I think it's one of the most fantastic sermons ever.
0: Yeah. Mm. It's so, and one of the things you know, with you, you, you've built, you've helped craft this whole theology of of jazz, and uh, you say, you know, America's chords are clashing right now. <laughs> but you, you know, say a little bit more about uh, in the book. You know, you talk about jazz both as improv, but also as this kind of harmony, but not homogeneity. You know, it's yeah. it's beautiful. So, what what are some cues we can take from from that tradition?
2: You know I, I I believe that jazz teaches America democracy before America even understands what democracy is all about. Mm. It's, it's the only democratic music it's It's not the symphony because the symphony demands that you follow the conductor. you know it's got, that's, that's hierarchy. Uh, mm-hmm. Jazz flows a little bit differently and and the beautiful thing about its origin is what's so exciting to me that speaks about the uh, idea of democracy. One, it's born in New Orleans for anybody's from New Orleans just I just think it's one of the greatest cities ever. Um, <laughs> That here you have in New Orleans, Louisiana,
1: mm-hmm.
2: where a combination of free Africans, many of them from Haiti, who are bringing the idea of freedom because of the Haitian Revolution to New Orleans. Mm-hmm. They have enslaved Africans, along with Spanish, French, indigenous people living in the same space. But on Sunday, the enslaved were given free space and time,
1: mm.
2: place known as the Congo Square. And in that place, the Congo Square, that's the singing and the, uh, the music uh, was played, and they would hear these different rhythms from different spaces. So, so that's the, the birth of jazz is in that space. But what's beautiful about a jazz is you have all of these instruments playing together that are not supposed to play together. Mm. So the saxophone was specifically designed for a marching band, mm. and saxophones are not supposed to play with pianos. Um, the piano is out of this European classical, and then you have a trap drum set that is supposed <laughs> to be on one, two, one, two, but it's using African polyrhythms.
1: <laughs> and then you
2: have this bass that's supposed to, you're supposed to use a bow. They said, Nope, we're going to use our fingers. And every instrument has the right to solo. In other words, I can bring something to the table <clears throat> and the saxophone never tells the piano you have to sound like me. Mm. The piano never tells the drum, you better sound like me mm. or the bass. You got to sound just like me. Everyone can communicate and offer something to the composition out of their own unique cultural narrative. Mm. And that itself is is the way in which we want democracy. If we all can learn the power of the solo, mm. then we can play in the words of John Coltrane, we can actually play a love supreme uh, collectively together and do something uh, that is unique. But but America doesn't want that. It wants the symphony. It wants one conductor mm-hmm. to demand that you play exactly what is on the paper mm-hmm. instead of the risk and the courage to say that the saxophone has something to say, or the piano has something to say, the drummer has something to say, the bass player has something to say. To say that, you know, women have something to say, men have something to say, if you're black, you have something to say, if you're, if you're Muslim, you have something to say, if you're agnostic, you have something to say, if you're Christian, you have something to say, we all have something to say. Mm -hmm. And that's the beauty of a jazz democratic narrative. Mm. It's more difficult, but it's definitely more beautiful.
1: Mm. Mm. All
0: right, y'all, listen up. We just got a few minutes. We got a, We got you know ten minutes left, fifteen minutes left with Reverend Otis Master III. So we're monitoring. We're on all kinds of different platforms. So y'all are watching on different places. But you can put it in the chat. Our team at Red Letter Christians are looking at comments and questions, or even just tell us you know hey, where you're listening in from. Uh, we're so glad for this hour together, brother. And you know I, I wonder if you we were thinking about the music. I, I was um I was struck. You know as you you it's a little bit different strain, but when you talk about Amazing Grace, you know, I've always known mm. that that's a complicated thing. John Newton, you know, tra- he participated in the trafficking right. of human beings. Um, he did have this conversion, but it almost doesn't happen as crystal clear, or as beautiful as you want. It's so, sometimes later, years later, that he actually, you know, calls for the abolition of slavery. So he's, he's a work in progress. But when, and I thought, you know, of Obama down in manual when he's saying it, I mean, there's so many ways that Amazing Grace has kind of hit us but uh, you added a new depth to it when you talked about uh, how the pentatonic scale may have come from the folks that are on that ship. So right. yeah. I, I think we hear this song a lot. So maybe you could just add that little uh, piece of the book while we're at it, man. Yeah,
1: that, that was
2: interesting. <laughs> oh, I appreciate that. I mean, the Amazing Grace is a, is a fascinating song, but so many people know it. Um, and we've been told the John Newton side of it. But there is another side that is told from mouth to ear from from people who are in South Carolina and Georgia and, and, and Alabama and especially these coastal regions is the fact that, you know, we always were told ah, John Newton, you know, he, he was saying that's where he wrote the song. He's praying to the Lord. Uh, but there's a story among black people, people of African descent that said Newton really didn't have anything to do with any of this, that, that, that there was a, a sound in the hull of the ship and that sound was so mm. beautiful this hum that in the midst of this storm that it made its way to heaven and an angel mm. uh, tapped uh, god on the shoulder and said you need to hear this and god simply said shh and stilled the storm mm. and when you look at the creation of amazing grace it says words by newton mm. melody unknown mm. The melody, according to ethnomusicologists, it's not a European melody.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: It's a melody that's pentatonic. It's a melody that the only way you can play it is you got to have black keys on the piano. Because mm-hmm. all spirituals can be played with black keys only. So I love to say that, um, you know, if you remove the black keys, that you'll, you can have grace, but it won't be amazing. Uh, so that, you you got to make sure that you add the blackness to it. So it's going to be amazing <laughs> grace. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the song, in many ways, is the merging of two traditions, African melody and humming, because the way Amazing Grace does not sound like other hymns you've heard. Listen to the melody. It's not a European melody. It's a melody that fits more in line with African-American spirituals. Mm-hmm. It, fits those, it fits that melody. And so here we have an African melody
1: mm-hmm. with
2: European text. Mm-hmm. And we all sing it and all know it. It is the most popular song in America because it merges two communities that essentially were sequestered in ways that they were never to play with each other. But something happened with the music. (laughs) Hmm.
0: Well, you got you got I don't want to cut you off you got any other questions I was, I was going to notes. ask him to share a little bit about the uh, that story with the Westboro Baptist Church is so powerful can we ask him a little bit about that yeah I was thinking you know when Dr. King says um, that no matter how much you hate us you 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 can't keep us from loving you you know mm-hmm. that, that it, you can throw us in jail you can burn down our houses you can threaten the lives of our children we will still love you but we'll, we'll wear you down by our love and You you tell the powerful story of your congregation that responded with such hatred, uh, with prayer, love, and some Pentecostal fire.
1: Yeah. (laughs) And uh, so I,
0: you know, you don't have to tell all of it. I want to do the spoiler alert because it's a such a powerful part Mm -hmm. of the book, y'all. Y'all all all got you. You got to read it yourself. But that story, I think, especially today, when we're seeing. Um, emboldened hatred mm-hmm. in so many different um uh, manifestations. We need the same kind of courage and faith that your community showed when Westboro showed up.
3: Well, and creativity. So it's quiet, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Right. When oh, I appreciate creativity.
2: that. Thank that you. Thank great. you. You know, for those who may not be familiar with Westboro, you know, I, I you know, I hate to use the word church even with them. It just bothers me. Um, but this Westboro group of people led by Mm
1: -hmm.
2: a lead terrorist um, (laughs) uh, showed up at our church Mm -hmm. and what they said with the signs and everything from racial epithets that were offered, these horrific things that were said about Senator Obama at the time. uh, And then about our church, it was just terrific. And of course they're on the South side of Chicago. They were trying to, um, you know, get someone to on video doing something horrific. And I said, you all really don't know where you are, uh, mm-hmm. but anyone knows a whole other thing. <laughs> and so when we heard that they had shown up, somebody said, there's a group out here. They are saying some of those vile things. And this is right before a service. Mm. And the choir was about to march in and I stopped the choir. And uh, because uh, really the Lord had just placed this in my spirit saying, I need your help right now. These Mm -hmm. people are outside. They are saying the most vile things. And, you know, our elders and children and families, they're trying to get in the church. You know, we're already dealing with all these, you know, the media gauntlet. And now we got these knuckleheads out here. Mm -hmm. And so the choir in their robes Mm -hmm. marched instead of marching in the sanctuary, they marched outside Mm
1: -hmm. and they
2: surrounded the Westboro Church and started singing This Little Light of Mine <laughs> and sang it to the glory of God so loud that their megaphones couldn't be heard. <laughs> i never forget that one, this lady, lady's name is Hattie, and Hattie stands on a good day, 5 1,
1: <laughs> uh, on a good day. Yeah. And
2: sing, oh, she can sing too. Miss mm-hmm. Hattie, my son. It just adores Miss Hattie. She's like, "Hey, nobody uh, sing like Miss Hattie." She, <laughs> I feel like I went to Mississippi where she sings. You know, she said that, and she's standing in front of this stout guy. Had to be about six two, six three, big guy, and she's just all in his face. This little live, <laughs> <laughs> and and to to the point where he fell back off the 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 edge of the sidewalk and stumbled. And they got their stuff and they went on away. Um, and then when the choir came in the church, I'm telling you, I, we, uh, we talk about uh, shouting good time because There's the fun. choir was emboldened. They were like, don't you know? I mean, mm-hmm. they came in with swag. They were like, we just ran hate away. Yeah. And they, <laughs> said, they sang. They said, you don't understand. You said you, my, my melody can mm-hmm. run hate away. I mean, they, they sang melodies from heaven for real. I mean, it was it was it was a beautiful moment to be able to witness. Wow,
0: so good. It, um, there's a question I want to I want to ask you as we we'll wrap up in a second. But as I was listening to that, I thought of you know that time where we we were holding a vigil and a um uh, a a really public lament as you talk about. We were you know grieving one more life that was lost to a gun and we um, were outside of the shooter shop is what it was called the gun shop right here around the corner um, which incidentally is now closed down and is housing for veterans but what mm. was that it was one of the worst gun shops in our country mm. uh, for guns sold that were used in track to crimes and um, so we were praying outside of it and these gun folks came I mean in full force and they they posted it on the internet bring your guns and we, you know, we tried to take a posture of de-escalation. You know, I wish we had had the Trinity Choir there, yeah. Reverend Otis, but <laughs> but we did our best. But we just started praying the Lord's Prayer, mm. you know, and they started singing uh, "God Bless America," just belting it out over mm. the Lord's Prayer. And even to this day, as I think about it, it's one of the times where I've felt like I was encountering real demonic forces not Mm. in those people but in that moment that there were things happening forces at work that are not the flesh and blood like ephesians Mm. says, but the principalities and powers and that this question that someone asked um is about that they said is it just me or does it feel like there's demonic energy everywhere right now Mm. so i wanted to hear you know your your Mm. your a pastor, you're a, you, mm-hmm. you got you got the charismatic thing going on, like. But some of us grew up with a version of spiritual warfare that was weird mm-hmm. and and not doesn't have the depth that I kind of think of it now. So I wonder what you would say to that question from YouTube. I think it was if someone talking mm-hmm. about what is the role of the demonic in all of this and how do we combat it spiritually.
2: You know, there there is destructive uh, energy and and evil that is 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 present uh but we have to be careful about giving too much power to the enemy Mm. of saying that it is ever present and it is omnipresent uh and and giving it the character Mm. of our god Mm. because part of the thing that uh that that what the enemy will do what 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 this destructive destructive forces will do is they will get a, a microphone and make you think uh, two are 2,000. And my yeah. father tells a, a wonderful story of a man who wanted some, um, some frog legs. And uh, he said he was going to buy some. He said, no, no, you don't have to buy them. His friend said, I can get you some frog legs. They ride down over here at the river. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'll make sure that when you have your party, you're going to have you're going to have a thousand frog legs. There, you can't you hear them? They're making a lot of noise. Mm-hmm. So the party comes. He's got all his guests. He's got thousands of people. And, you know, and he shows up and the man comes in he's, uh, with six frog legs. He said, man, you said I could have a thousand frog legs. He's what happened. He said, well, once I got down to the river, I found out that the three sounded like three thousand. <laughs> <laughs> And part of the problem is with social media networks, Mm
1: -hmm. with
2: people who own uh, media conglomerates like Fox, Mm -hmm. we will think that the three frogs Mm. are Mm 3000, but there are more red letter Christians. Uh, There are more Trinitarians uh, Mm -hmm. from Trinity United Church of Christ. Uh, There are more poor people's campaigns. Mm -hmm. There are more mothers who deeply love their children, Mm -hmm. fathers Mm -hmm. who care about their boys and girls, teachers who want to see their students develop. Uh, Mm -hmm. There are more of them. We just don't have the mic. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Once we get the mic or repair the mics that we have. Right. We will notice that the the three frogs don't have the authority and power in our world.
3: Mm. Glory. That was beautiful. Yes, that was
2: that was powerful.
3: Mm. Have you ever been frog gigging?
2: No, I haven't.
3: We grew up we grew up <laughs> frog digging over here, man.
0: Yeah, get, you gotta go in a night where there's no moon because they, they they can see you coming if there's a full moon. So and you you got the Except, last ooh,
1: we'll go, we'll
2: go now, I, now I've eaten some frog. I like some frog lately. <laughs>
1: too.
0: <laughs> well, what a gift. I was gonna read a, a little quote to close this out, but you you got any other oh, go
3: ahead. that was my last Remember question. Mop, you
0: got any I'm gonna give you the last word, but I was gonna read a quote you you wanna Oh, you me, go, you go right
2: ahead. We'll give it to uh, to Master Shane here.
0: Well, uh, it is you. reading the book. This is beautiful, y'all. This is a uh, near the end uh, of of Doctor Otis Moss's the third book, uh, Dancing in the Darkness. People often ask me where we will find the next Martin Luther King Jr., and I tell them we do not need one. We need hundreds of mm. kings. We need thousands. We need kings and queens, mm. Frederick Douglass's, Robert Smalls's, uh, Anna Julia Cooper's, Ida B. Wells's, mm. W.E.B. Du Bois's, Malcolm X's, Fred Hampton's, Ella Baker's, Fannie Lou Hamer's, Toni Morrison's, Bell Hook's's, princes and princesses, warriors and priestesses, local superheroes and freedom fighters by the millions. Mm. That was pretty. So. May we stand up and dance in the darkness. Mm. Thank you for inspiring us tonight, my brother. It's always a gift to be together.
2: It is always a joy to be with you all. Thank you so very much, and to the to the RLC community, the Red Letter uh, Red Letter Christian community. Thank you for the for the work and the witness that uh, you're providing this world, and uh, that you all are dancing.
0: Mm. Yes. We're dancing. Amazing,
2: great. So I'm
0: gonna send us out, y'all. Uh, with the, this song, cause I wanted, I wanted Reverend Moss to hear it. This is, it, you know, where you deter where you sit determines what you see too. And I was thinking as we were hearing about amazing grace of our brother Abu Ali, who Katie and I have been with, mm. um, when he was on death row mm. and, uh, at river Riverbend unit Two, Tennessee's death row. Thank God he's no longer facing execution, but he is still incarcerated, but he's an incredible singer, uh, Reverend Moss. And, uh, He's saying amazing grace and we somehow top secretly captured it on the uh the phone and so I'm going to send us out with that. <laughs>